namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa This evening, I'm going to talk about meeting, meeting greed with mindfulness and wisdom. And this is the last talk <laughs> for me. Tomorrow I have to leave. And some of you also are departing. I thought this is a very good talk. Because I remember when I was here in 1999, I was doing a three-month retreat. And part one yogis left. It was a very important moment in my life of letting go. There was attachment and let go. And there's a teacher, I remember, he gave a talk. He's called Michelle McDonald. Gave a talk saying, the talk was... Uh, titled like this, saying hello and goodbye. It's so beautiful. You are going to feel this moment. You warm up for this moment in the morning. That's why I want to give this talk, because there's that bowing down. Those yogis who are going to leave and they bow down for those who are staying, I saw tears. It's amazing. Please get ready with your... I'm telling you, for me, to use a, I really cry, actually, but this, for me, it was a very touching moment. And these are not, these are not the people I've been talking with. <laughs> <laughs> That's very strange, even. <laughs> I mean, leave alone these people that you've been sharing a yogi job, and then they leave. Of course, there will be some of those who will leave, but... These are some of the people I never talk to them. They don't know even where I'm from, Uganda or not. They don't know at all. And I don't know where they're coming from. And then it was that moment of, oh, stay. Please stay for the, for the three months. Don't leave me alone. <laughs> Maybe it's because it was my first time to come to USA and this was a new country for me. And uh, I wanted people to stay. And you're going to feel it. I'm not scaring you, but <laughs> getting ready for that moment. And then there comes the teachers. You know, I'm connected to this teacher and these teachers. You know, I have to leave, you know. So it's a very touching moment. And uh, I want to share with you something. How to deal with attachment. Greed. The Pali word is loba. It has many cousins. Huh? Many cousins. Uh, friends. Uh, and the Buddha gave different names, very interesting names. We found out tanha, which is thirst. And the Buddha used these words, which are very important, metaphoric words, you know, like the thirst. Sometimes greed is called fire. You know what it means when you have greed. It's fire burning. He talks about upadana, upadana. Mm? upadana. 
as fuel. And you know what fuel does? What does fuel do? It keeps on sustaining where there's fire. So can you imagine having greed, which is fire, and you have fuel, which is upadana? Just keep burning. The Buddha used other words like raga. Raga, I love that word. It's really like dye. You know, when you have dye in clear water, it's really distorts the whole thing. Your face, you can't look into your face. Uh, and in, in water because it's all uh, colored with dye. Raga, my teacher, gave a very good translation of this word. It's called gluing. Gluing. Like super glue. Do you have super glue in USA? I mean, one time I touched it like this and I could not... <laughs> it, was a, a one, it was the most uh, unwanted experience. Let me see. Because... I didn't know that it can stick. It was very painful. So that's raga. Gluing. And you know what it means. Super glue. To people, to everything. In guys' talk, he used the word viraga, which is the opposite. Not, not gluing. <laughs> That's what the guy gave us last time, and it's one of the feta. I like that very much than dispassion. I don't understand dispassion. It looks like negative, but it's not negative because it comes from understanding, a deep understanding. But I like to use the word gluing or not gluing when I come to this Pali word, raga. My teacher, Bhante Gunaratana, uses this word. Right. Let us explore with you different shades of greed. Starting with simplest one. Actually, this happened to me in the morning. I was here sitting and meditate and I saw an itch. And I had made an agreement with any itch as a meditator. Don't scratch it until it becomes life-threatening. <laughs> I made that deal a long time ago. During this time, I came on to a Dhamma talk here, and I just took a shower, and there's still water in my ears. Usually I have this kind of uh, cotton that I, I clean, and then the water gets out of. Maybe I have big ears, I don't know. But anyway, water was there in my ears, and I came for a seat here. I'm telling you, it was itching and itching. And I say, wow, Bante, remember, you made an agreement <laughs> with any itch. You know, these are subtle forms of desire, desired scratch. Is that familiar to you? Desired scratch. Desired. <laughs> make a deal. <laughs> it works when I make determination. Actually, it was this morning when I looked. I had to even look, what's itching me? And there was nothing, actually. And I just kept on meditation, meditation, itching, itching, desired scratch. So it works, but you have to make a strong, strong determination on small, small uh, desires. You know. We see it, uh, we see other desires on a, in this environment. There's not a lot of things to desire, like the Buddha, maybe. Not so much, actually cushion not much <laughs> but still 
still there is something comes. The bulletin board. Ten times we keep on going there. I mean, this is me actually. <laughs> I'm not saying you are, my, you are doing it, but for me, in 1999, I kept on going there all the time until I figured out that it was actually desire <laughs> was fueling me to go and check the board. Another one, which was very common for maybe also common to you, I don't know whether they have tea now or different kinds of tea. Recross and chamomile. For me, it was an obsession for me. I would go and take tea, and those days they used to have some message on those tea bags, and you would open them and you read it and say, wow, what a wonderful insight. <laughs> <laughs> like when we say, pausing, learn how to pause. So I would take my tea and then get this message, usually connected to Dharma. And I say, yes, I'll keep on taking this tea because there's a message. <laughs> you see the connection? So every seat I would go and <laughs> get a tea bag, I put there, and then what this saying about Dhamma? So for me, it was amazing. Uh, another thing that I observed is when I was in a line getting food, uh, it was amazing. It was a kind of a, like a... A rubber band neck, you know, trying to stretch my neck to look what's going on there at the table, you know. Especially, I don't know if they have Big Ben now. It's what's called this, uh, what's that ice cream? Bar? What's ice cream? I've forgotten the name. Long. Yes, yes. I love that one. Please don't, don't send me ice cream to Uganda. I'm just telling you those days. <laughs> those days. <laughs> Last time I gave a talk here and I talked about tea and all that. There's a professor from Boston College sending me wonderful tea in a monastery in West Virginia. So, but uh, this is a long time ago, okay? That's ice cream. I love that one. I love that ice cream because in Uganda I didn't take so much ice cream and this was a, an obsession for me. Maybe, uh, I don't know what ice cream you have there, but anyway. Maybe you have something, I don't know. <laughs> At least something. <laughs> Another thing that I found out, mental movies. Mental movies. I would sit there and I would just see, remember when I was in Thailand, and diving, and it just became a movie. I was enjoying it. Another desire. You can add on, on the list, uh, seeing your fellow yogis and make plans how to have a sitting group and uh, start a Dharma center, which is not bad, but I'm saying, I'm just, uh, actually Uganda Buddhist Center maybe was an outcome <laughs> of <the laughs> When I was in 94, I did a retreat in India, I want to make sure that every African country has a Dharma center. Can you imagine, out of the retreat? <laughs> It took me over 10 years, really. So I'm not saying these all desire are very bad, but we are going to explore some of the desires which are, I think are wonderful. So we continue our exploration. Uh, I just want to let you know that the Buddha gave uh, many Pali words for defilement. So of course, uh, greed is part of the uh, unwholesome roots, uh, the three unwholesome roots. Uh, it's one of the killers, defilements, and a defilement. But uh, actually, 
in practice when we are meditating, you don't have to say, is it a hindrance, is it a fetter, is it a defilement, is it... So I give you some few names so that really you don't have to single it out because there are so many. Buddha talks about defilements, talks about floods, ogre. Uh, he talks about yoga, which is bonds. He talks about uh, uh, ties, graspings, hindrances. He talks about fetters. He talks about anusaya. He talks about samyojana. He talks about asava. So what I'm warning you is not to sit there and say, oh, is it samyojana? Is it an ogre? Is it a yoga? Is it a tie? Is it a bond? Is it a defilement? I think this question came, but I want to caution you not to start sorting out things like that. Leave it scholars where they have to sort out systematically like this. But for you in meditation, you just have to deal with what's arising. It's like, I'm not going to use this example, but maybe let me go ahead. Okay, if I'm throwing you this stick and I throw this cup to you and I throw this to you, do you have to say, oh, is it a stick or is it a cup? Is it a stone? Is that what you do? You just do like this. <laughs> Be very practical, right? <laughs> that was a side story. Let's continue. We are going out there in the world. We are going tomorrow in the world. It's a different world from my experience. So be patient. The message is different. Uh, I, I, myself, I didn't know this message, but one time I was in San Jose and I was uh, meditating. They gave me uh, some kind of snack. As usual, you know, when there's no sense desires and no television, no what, always the it, sense desire find out a way to escape. Uh, and then uh, there was a packet uh, of of a snack and I, I read this one and when I read it I'd say whoa this is the world this is the message the world is giving us it's not the same as the message we get in meditation can I share this with you it's gonna take a lot of time but who cares actually <laughs> <laughs> I'll give up my desire to, to finish this talk <laughs> this is a message that I found out is different from what we learn here it's about getting more and getting more and not enough and not enough. This is a message. I, this was 2001. I read this and I, it, it just stuck in my mind. I will share it with you to show you how the message in the material world is different from the message we give here. All right. This is, uh, it says that, the, the, the packet said like this, use extreme caution when opening this bag. It was a bag of snack. And it says, warning. <laughs> Contents of this bag have been found to be dangerously cheesy. Actually, that was a brand name, cheesy. <laughs> if exposed to this incredibly delicious substance, look for these signs. These are the signs you have to look for. Cheesy Cheese crazed behaviors. <laughs> there are four of them. This is the first one. Craving for all things cheesy. I think you have cheese here too. 
second behavior, crazed behavior. The, un, I've, I've, uh, the, uh, the uh, unavoidable desire to hug a cheese packet. <laughs> I couldn't understand. This was crazy, actually. For me, I could not understand. Especially uh, the one named Chester Cheta. I don't know if they had that. <laughs> Cheta. Third one. Finger and tongue constantly orange. Actually, it was orange. <laughs> that was the color. Then the fourth behavior is the inability to share an open bag with others. <laughs> it continues. It continues. If you suffer from any of these symptoms, you, my friend, are officially hooked on deliciously, dangerously cheesy taste of Cheeto, Cheetos brand and cheese-flavored snack. <laughs> the only cure, this is where things become very interesting. The, the, <laughs> the only cure for these symptoms, a never-ending supply of that cheesy crunch you crave. <laughs> How about for a message? More and more and more, okay? A never-ending supply of that cheesy crunch you crave. So it's about getting object. You're not touching the mind. It's about the object. This is the difference. And those things can take us in two different ways. Okay, in case of emergence, again, this is even more interesting. <laughs> this, in case of emergency, immediately get more bags of Chetos. <laughs> Brand cheesy, cheesy flavored snacks. What a world we are living in. <laughs> we are living actually in a very strange world. <laughs> I've been to many places. All what I see, the big, this advertisement is about getting more, getting newer, better, faster. It's just crazy. Anyway, that was something I want to share with you. Okay, here we, we are going to actually still navigate around these desires. Buddha used Pali words that really can help you to sort out which desire you can develop and which desire you should drop. And Buddha used these words, chanda, another word is called loba. Chanda, I will start with chanda. Literally means desire to act, in, according to Abhidhamma, Buddhist, uh, Buddhist uh, psychology, we find that word, uh, Buddha, I mean, uh, Abhidhamma talks about desire to act. Hmm? Desire to act, desire to perform an act, or achieve some result. Then, uh, That's the Buddhist psychology, but this word appears actually in many places. In many, many places. Even in, even in the Noble Eightfold Path, the fourfold effort uh, uh, James talked about. The Buddha talks about desire to abandon unwholesome states of mind. Desire to overcome unwholesome states of mind, 
desire to uh, develop, develop uh, wholesome states of mind, and then desire to to maintain wholesome states of mind. This with this chanda uh, chanda janetivaya matviriya arabati. This we find in the central teaching of the Buddha. So really, desire to do something wholesome, it's okay. Desire to have faith, desire to meditate, desire to come to retreat, desire to go to Uganda Buddhist Center. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> There's some kind of desire the Buddha actually talked about and it should be abandoned. That's called loba, raga, and all these things. And here, I'll help you to really find out the distinction between the two. Okay, first, we, uh, with greed, uh, one difference, it's invaluable and wholesome as opposed to, um, to chanda, which is ethically val uh, valuable factor, which when conjoined with wholesome concomitants can function as a virtuous desire to achieve a worthy goal. So you see? This is a very, very important distinction. But uh, I think it's better we go to really the Buddhist psychology, how they distinguish them so that you can get a feel of what these mental states are. Characteristics, uh, the future of uh, greed, loba, grasping an object. With chanda, the characteristic is desire to act. So the function of loba, which is greed, is sticking, sticking like super glue, eh? as a meat, as meat sticks on a hot pan. The function of, uh, uh, of chanda is searching for an object. The manifestation uh, of uh, greed is not giving up. Not giving up is the manifestation of uh, of uh, greed. The manifestation of, uh, of uh, chanda uh, is need for an object. And then the proximate cause for uh, greed is seeing enjoyment in things that leads to bondage. But when you look at the proximate cause of, uh, of chanda is that same object, right? That same object. So there's a distinction. Maybe this is a little bit scholarly, but let me bring it out clearly here. Uh, maybe uh, in a few words which make sense. So desire to meditate, what could you think? What do you think about that desire? Is it loba or chanda? Chanda, okay, very good. Desire to meditate is chanda. Hmm? Okay, what about desire to have that ice cream? And have more and more and more. Tell me about it. <laughs> what do you think? Okay, no more. Okay, good. Okay. What, uh, you, using the, you see, whenever the word chanda is bunched, uh, put together with another word, uh, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, it gains a new meaning. Let's say chanda, which, uh, when it's associated with unwholesome states of mind, like greed, hatred, and delusion, then it is called, let's say, Kama Chanda, for instance. Kama means sensual pleasures. So when you have those words like Kama Chanda, 
that's really definitely part of greed and uh this is uh something the buddha said drop drop it abandon it in stages of course but then when you look at when uh, the word chanda is bunched with let's say dhamma dhamma chanda what would you think should you do that should you develop it yes dhamma chanda you should develop it desire to attain nibbana it's okay desire to attain nibbana is okay but desire to what can we say desire to to eat 10 ice creams a day or desire to watch 100 movies per day what do you think the other desire let's say for instance uh, dharma chanda is desire to practice practice the dharma desire to meditate it's okay to attain nibbana it's okay but i found out did this desire has two things here uh, <coughs> desire to get uh, it leads actually to two things if you get what you wanted that becomes a problem if you don't get what you wanted it becomes a problem there there is a saying in the dharma world they say that there's two there's one tragedy in life hmm? actually two <laughs> getting what you want and not getting what you uh, not getting what you want getting what you want and not getting what you want is this the tragedies in life in uganda we eat bananas our staple food is banana so i play with these words desire uh, you they say if you have kamachanda uh, hmm? and you don't get what you want you go bananas <laughs> bananas are our staple food <laughs> because of the frustration you get crazy <laughs> you didn't get what you want you go bananas so in other words if you keep on indulging in desire of course you you get bananas a lot of bananas yeah if you want so i use this one you get bananas you go bananas you get bananas you go bananas either way <laughs> so that's how i remember this <laughs> i remember that's how it, uh, i remember this kind of thing desire or greed leads to papancha the word papancha i think caro talks about this word papancha she likes it very much and i love it very much papancha papanchet is a verb Pap you papanchet <laughs> that's one word you should learn <laughs> and it's very common with the yogi mind they can create so many things and they go to papancha and all these things so the other dharma chanda leads to nipapancha the opposite of papancha is nipapancha means to not think, taking things as i mind myself i think you have enough examples uh, differences between the these mental states uh, of course i want to draw uh, this to uh, this point to you this point is very important we have what we call 37 aids of awakening and one of the 37 aids of awakening is chanda it comes under what we call idipadas <coughs> the four bases of success 
This is the four bases of success. And we should develop. We should develop these bases of success. And Chanda, there are four of them. One is Chanda, another one which is desire to act. Then Virya, energy, Chitta, thoughts, Vimansa, which is wisdom or discernment. So really, it's something that we should develop. Somebody asked about or desire to have faith and all these things. So this is part of things that we should, we should develop. We shouldn't say, oh, no, 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 no. We should not have desire. No, no, no. You just check out. Is it desire to be desireful or desire to be desireless? So Chanda is desire to be desireless. It's okay. But at some stage, we have, of course, to also let go of that. Once we attain enlightenment, we don't need it's, we, don't, we don't need it. It's like when we learn swimming using a floater, and then you go to Olympics. Do you get your float and say, yeah, I need it? I think I like a very beautiful example of gems he gave about learning how to bicycle and using a wheel, and one day you, you remove them. So did you keep on putting them again? You needed the wheels. Eh? You, need, you needed the wheels. Eh? But once you learn, you went off. But you didn't keep on putting them again and again. So when we attain enlightenment, even we have to let go this chanda, actually. Because there are aids of awakening. The chanda has aided us to attain awakening. So we have to develop it in the first place. It's like uh, maybe this example doesn't work, but in, in Uganda we have thorns, and when you're walking in a bush, you get thorns in your feet. And you have to use the thorn to remove the, 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 that thorn. Maybe an example here is like when you step on a, maybe glass and goes in your body, you have to use a tweezer. Eh? I think this works very well. You use a tweezer to get out, something has gone to you. So we are using chanda, desire, to get out something unskillful. I think that's the difference. Desire to be desireful, that's greed and all these things. That's a distinction I can also give. So now you know the difference. Desire to be desireful is what? Greed. Desire to be desireless is chanda. That's a distinction. I'm figuring out so many things to really to remind you because some people hold back. They, they hold back because some of the, I think the central teaching of the Buddha, they talk about desire as the cause of suffering. So any inclination to desire, people get so afraid. But you, you need to distinguish. You need to distinguish it yeah, from other kinds of desire. I think last time what I, what I promised to you in my talks is to also find the distinction, I mean talk about the, distinct, the, the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome. Um, many people here, I mean teachers have talked about it, but I think it's very, very important to underscore this. There's a difference between what's wholesome state of mind and unwholesome state of mind. There are so many distinctions, but maybe I'll give you two or three. One is, we can use what we call consequential principle, result. If something is going to result to the suffering of oneself, suffering of others, suffering of both, 
then that's definitely unskillful. It has to meet that criteria. Right? If, on the other side, if something is going to lead to happiness for oneself, for others, for both, that's definitely unskillful. I mean skillful. This is very, very important to get that dis distinction, to look at the results of what you're doing. I hope that's clear. Then the second distinction is look at the motivation. What's the motivation of what you're doing? We look at the motivation principle. If anything you're doing is motivated by greed, hatred, and delusion, that's definitely unskillful or unwholesome. Akusala. And on the other side, if it's motivated by the opposite, which is non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, we, we can say generosity, loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom. That's very skillful. It's called kusala. There's another other distinction, but I think this is enough. I, uh, there's a lot. We can talk about uh, five distinctions, but I think this is enough for you to guide you in what you're doing. Now, What can we do now? Here we are, we are in a world of desires. What can we do with them? We are bombarded with our life full of things to see, things to hear, and all that. Here we want to use Buddha's teaching to help us navigate around. One of the most inspiring teaching of the Buddha I found out is about looking at life in three angles, three angles. Failure to look at life or pleasures and in three angles, then we don't get a full picture. So these are the three angles. One is gratification, asada, danger, and then uh, escape, huh? escape, adinava, adinava is the danger, and then nekama uh, is escape, renunciation. So we are going to navigate around these three angles, and I think you are going to see for yourself uh, that this is the way to go. This is the way to go when you have sensual desires, uh, when you have uh, craving, when you have clinging, all these different shades of greed. Okay, the first angle is gratification. The Buddha said that if in this world there was no joy and pleasure, then people will not be hooked. People will, never, will not be attached to things. But precisely because there is pleasure and joy in this world, then people get attached. So we need to understand that fact. Missing that fact, then I think we are not going to understand fully or embrace fully our life as human beings. So we need to understand that this is a fact. Hmm? This is a fact. The Buddha talks about this in a discourse which is called Mahadukkha Kanda Sutta, Sutta number 13 of Majjhima Nikaya. I think here I will read it directly because very very ins inspiring message. 
This the Buddha talks about uh, the great discourse of the mass of suffering. And he's talking about now gratification. And what bhikkhus is the gratification in case of sensual pleasures? Bhikkhus, there are these five chords of sensual pleasures. What are the five? Forms cognizable by the eye that uh, the eye that are wished for, desired, agreeable, and likable, connected with the sensual desire and provocative of lust, sounds, he goes on sound, flavors, and then tangibles, and then he goes on, yeah, like that. Uh, talking about tangibles, cognizable by the body, that are wished for, desired, agreeable, unlikable, connected with sensual pleasures, and provocative of lust. These are the five chords, chords of sensual pleasures. Now, the pleasure and joy that arise dependent of these five chords of sensual pleasures are the gratification in the case of sensual pleasures. This is Buddha's message, which is very, very interesting. And when you look at the life of the Buddha, have you read the life of the Buddha? We, there's the life of the Buddha and also the life of the Bodhisattva. The problem we have, I've seen this happening many, many times. The problem when, they refer, when people refer to the Buddha, they also refer to the Buddha when he was still a Bodhisattva, before enlightenment. Before enlightenment, the Buddha said, before I got enlightened, I was a Bodhisattva. Sattva, the Pali word Sattva, is very interesting, actually. It means beings who are attached. <laughs> That's what it means. So the Buddha is really acknowledging, when I was still a, a Bodhisattva, somebody who is attached. Hmm? Uh, body means intellect. So somebody who is actually the, uh, not yet enlightened, we call it a Bodhisattva in at least Theravada tradition. So he talks about how himself enjoyed sensual pleasures. He had three palaces, uh, a lot of female dancers, I think in the number, I forgot, over 100 somewhere. And he enjoyed. That's when he's talking about gratification, the joy and the pleasure. All of you can attest to this fact that there's pleasure and joy. Maybe life would be so dull if there was no joys and pleasure. It would be flat. What do you think? I think so. But the Buddha is saying, please look at life. Realistically, you know. Not denying life, you know. Oh, yes, I'm a Buddhist. You know, there's, no, there's no pleasure and joy in life. But what's very interesting, the Buddha said, no, don't stop there. I think this is a message. The Buddha said, don't stop there. Look at, and this is a very important message, look at the danger of sensual pleasures. For me, it's like buy one and get one free. <laughs> Do you have this in USA? You buy one, get one free. So, yes, get gratification, but also get suffering. A little bit, maybe. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know this very well. 
Before I became a monk, I was in India as a student in 1990. I had an exchange program to study in India, actually. That's how it happened, actually. And I found monks at the university. So now, I was in India my first year at the university, and uh, they used to have newspaper in the corridor, and I read the newspaper. Snowfall in Shimla, which is a hill station. I think some of these people know. There was flakes like this in the newspaper. There was a photo with flakes like this. I looked at the picture. I said, wow, what a beautiful sight. After my exams, I saved the money. I was on scholarship, so I was given $50 per, year, per month. I saved my money on a bus to Shimla when there was snowfall, uh, snow falling. I reached there. In a bus, it takes almost five hours from Chandigarh, where I was a student. I reached the site. It was full of snow, white. All the trees were full of snow, and it was the most amazing sight. I've never been to any country. When I left Uganda in 1990, I went to India as a student, and I've never been anywhere in a country where there's snow. The thing I, about snow is when I, I was in a refrigerator and I saw ice cubes. That's my knowledge about snow. Just in a, re a refrigerator, and you see those cubes, and we used to put it in the mouth, and they melt in the mouth. Oh, I loved it, putting them in the mouth and eat them. Very good. We enjoyed that in Uganda. We don't, we didn't, I didn't snow. I didn't see snow in Uganda. Here I am in the middle of snow. I was so fascinated. I had to buy those cameras where, which you, you, you keep on changing the film like this, I mean, the negative, you know, and then I start taking photos. I said, this is not enough. I was putting on a jacket and then, uh, it was sunny. I did like this. So all the snow was going here. And I was enjoying doing like this snow here. Everywhere snow here. The tourists were looking at me like this. It's African. Actually, there were not, no African there, actually. I saw all the eyes piercing me like this. People looking at me, playing with snow everywhere here, everywhere here, and my hand like this. It was fun gratification. Took some pictures. After five minutes or so, I got a message. Very interesting message. It said there's something going on here. Something going on here because it, it started melting. Yeah? It was water, you know. It's not the snow I was eating in Uganda from a fridge. It was cold. It was getting cold. <laughs> and I left the bus bus station, very long way, you know, so, and I had walked so much in snow, and the, the snow in the boots was, was melting. <laughs> I got so cold, I dropped the camera there, and I said, what a strange experience. <laughs> that was my first Dharma lesson, the connection between desire and danger. <laughs> I tell you, I want to quote the Buddha actually so much. Eh? It's my boss. Eh? I want to. <laughs> <laughs>
there are so many things I've learned in life that I, even if I would go to the university and learn this, I'll never get it. You can't teach me this at the university. Gratification and the danger? No. I learned through my direct experience. It was the most horrible experience I've ever had. <laughs> I'll never do it again. <laughs> never open like this. It's not going inside. So when I came to USA here, I was on staff here. I was weird, actually. Among the staff members, I was the most weird person when it came to snow. I would cover myself all over, and then only eyes. <laughs> My fellow, fellow staff members, they say, please don't go near anywhere near the bank. <laughs> They'll think that you are going to rob the bank. Anyway, I became so protective from my experience. I protected myself so much that snow will never reach my body anywhere. <laughs> this much you could see. You could say Ugandan staff member only when you see only the eyes like this <laughs> and the mouth. Anyway, we continue. I want to share with you something. Danger. We need to look at the danger. We are going to explore. Well, it's not enough time, I think. Okay, uh, so danger, chemically speaking, desire, and please don't take this personally. We're just going through eh? danger. At least navigate around the danger. Chemically speaking, really, actually, uh, craving and clinging and all that creates unwholesome karma, and which has uh, it has a, a potential to fuel. I told you. Upadana, craving, is like fuel. It fuels the continuity of your um, rebirth again and again, diapers and bath and death and bath and death. If you don't believe in a rebirth, it's okay, but you, you get the message clearly. So that's one thing that it does. It keeps, on, uh, it keeps us around, enjoying, you know. Then uh, another danger is, uh, of course, uh, look at the conflict we have. Actually, we have a conflict going on in our life. Uh, there's, of course, what we call uh, desire for stability, things to be stable, things we want. But the very nature of things, they're, in, they're not stable. Have you ever seen something that is stable? Relationship, good food, everything's changing. But when we have desire for stability, so there is a crash. I'm going to demonstrate this crash. On one hand is the instability of life, of everything. And on either side, you look at the, the crash, desire for stability. On this side, we have craving and desire for things to be stable. We hit it. And this, this kind of crash, we call it conflict, stress, or dukkha. So what should we do? We cannot change things. They're always changing. So what should we change? Is our mindset. We have to change our mindset. Not to fixate on things that are changing. That desire for stability. So we, ha we can change our mindset. 
there is a discourse, a discourse in Majima Nikaya, actually many discourses, but I start with the, the one in Diga Nikaya. It's called Mahani Dana Sutta. Buddha here said that craving leads to various evils, wars, conflicts, and all that. He, he talks about this codependent co-rising, starting with f f craving. I mean, already Guy has given a talk about uh, dependent arising, I think, uh, transcending, dependent arising. But here there's another de dependent arising about craving, how it actually unfolds and leads to ev uh, various evil uh, phenomena. So craving leads to pursuits, leads to gain, leads to decision-making, desire and lust, then attachment, and then possessiveness. You understand possessiveness? It's like keeping tabs eh, on people. Yeah? You try to possess them. Eh? Where have they gone? Are they gone to Uganda or Alaska or what? So you possess them. So, so possessiveness, stinginess, safeguarding, and all ending up in various evil uh, states. This is a very interesting discourse that you should read. We don't have enough time. Uh, but uh, you understand the message that it keeps on leading to all these things. Another danger is here I want to share with you. This is from a book called The Mindfulness Teaching Guide by Rob Brandsummer. I, I found out very interesting how she, um, this book puts it uh, is this way. The five hindrances according to this book, tr uh, traces the five hindrances to wanting, desire. He said that greed is like I want. Then ill will is I don't want. Then um, uh, restlessness, I want something else. Then sloth and topper, I don't want anything. <laughs> and then with doubt, I don't know what I want. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> So if you really work on your desire, want, and liking, I think the five hindrances might drop altogether. Very interesting. I found that very interesting. Of course, we found out uh, the danger of sensual desires, uh, like it, it leads to difficult emotions. In Dhammapada, we found out from craving arises fear and grief. It leads to other defilements, like uh, sadness, lamentation, and all that. A rising of greed, oh, this is very interesting. Actually, when greed or clinging or craving arises, watch your body. It brings stress, which was not there in the first place. Agitation. Tension. It wasn't there in the first place. And guess what? When we get the object we want, and that tension goes and stress, we get kind of eluded that actually, eh, deluded in other words, we get deluded that actually we are happy. But that stress was not there in the very beginning. You know? So all this is not to say we don't get a, the, the high kick you know, when we get that ice cream, but I'm telling you what to observe when desire arises. Hmm? The tension it creates. 
And also the struggle, the second one I can give you is struggling to get what you want. You know, if you want an ice cream to go to Barry, what do you do? Then you have to look for the car key, and then you have to make sure there's fuel, and then you have to make sure that nobody's going to see you. <laughs> there's a lot of struggling, you know. Uh, for me, amazing, when I was in a boarding school in Uganda, we used to escape to go and look for ice cream or other things, you know, and then you have to make sure that nobody's going to see you, you know. So we had to do this, you know. I know exactly the struggle, you know. You go to get what you want. There's a lot of struggle, and you can relate to this, actually. Now, there's something very interesting here. If you get something, still there's a lot of suffering that comes along because you get it, and then the feeling, eh? the feeling of what you get changes. Like any other feeling, it keeps on changing. Hmm? And if you, are, you don't get what you want, is guess what? A lot of frustration. And this frustration is very common on a retreat, even if, uh, uh, let's say, you are desiring a mind, a mind state, and then you don't get it, and you get frustrated because of the difference between what you expected and what you actually got. There's a lot of uh, frustration. Suffering due to maintenance, you have to maintain what you got, you have to clean it. All these things, uh, I'm just pointing them out. You know, fear of loss is also brought by clinging. And then finally, when we separate, when we separate, either somebody steal your object or actually you really, you remember like we, we talked about death last time? What is called? <laughs> It's called <coughs> negative patience outcome. <laughs> when you get what you call negative patience outcome, you are separated from the object. And then that suffering uh, during that process, many people struggle. There's a lot to talk about danger. But let's go to escape. That's what the Buddha did. Buddha, people say that he's, he left his family, and that's very mean, but if you say like that, two things going on here. That's not the Buddha. That's the Bodhisattva. We have to talk about Bodhisattva there. When he was still having the defilements. And two, we have to look at the history of India those days. The history of India, renunciation was there already, but people were taken care of. Hmm? The family took care of the people. That was the society those days, I don't know about now, but it's extended family. And also I like an analogy the one yogi gave me here, is that when the house is burning, when your house is burning, and you have family, and you are the one who knows the phone of the fire department, would you rather sit with the family and don't go to the phone to call the fire department? What, what makes sense? You, they don't know the number. You know the phone number of the fire department. Of course, you have to leave them in a room and go and call the fire department and then they come and then stop the fire and then you don't only help your family but also the people around. This, uh, if fire maybe caught another house, you can stop that fire. 
So really, uh, I've read this in even a book, somebody saying, no, 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 that was wrong. Buddha came back when he got enlightenment, came back, and his son joined him. And uh, many father also joined, and uh, all the family, you know, and they attained enlightenment, you know. So really, uh, we have to look at these things clearly. You, know? you can't say the Buddha actually left the family, because he was not the Buddha yet. This is very, very important. So the Buddha escaped, he found that escape. This is very important, I think. It's too bad I have only four minutes. <laughs> escape. How can you talk about escape in four minutes? Unless we begin, and you give me more three minutes. <laughs> but my teacher told me, never begin. <laughs> Finish on time. <laughs> okay, let me tell you the escape. Escape is actually the Buddha, this escape is about really letting go of lust and desire. Not because you listen to the, Buddha, the talk from, from Bante Buddha Rakita or from the Buddha or any of these teachers, but having really seen yourself, the connection between sensual desires and suffering, then you can actually try to let it go in a very small way. You know what, how much I've let go? I used to build castles from sand. And one person would come, a kid would come, not as a mom. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to build sand castles, and one kid would come and kick it. I'll get angry. Because I thought the ca sand castles are real. No, I'm not doing any of those things. So I've connected that really these sand castles are not real. <laughs> and also they're bringing a lot of suffering because I've seen it from experience. I'm no longer eating a lot of candy. I used to love it so much. It's because I've connected how it brings suffering. So anyway, here's three minutes how to escape. I don't know whether I'll manage it. Okay? The first method is using the template of the Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Path, right understanding, right intention, thoughts, right speech, right action, right, um, right um, effort, right, uh, sorry, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration is the path to letting go if you want to escape from this mess. It's not going to drop in one day, but actually you keep on chipping off slowly by slowly your desire. Slowly by slowly by slowly. I, as a layman, I used to have 20 shirts. And I used, I used to go to wardrobe. I like this blue one. I like the red one. But now I don't have any of those desire to put on a blue shirt. One. <laughs> Only one. <laughs> and I'm happy with it. <laughs> so this is something I found out that it doesn't bother me. So number eight for path is going to help. Two more minutes. <laughs> Actually, I have desire to finish this talk. <laughs> I hope maybe I should let go of this desire to finish this talk. Okay, second method. Six senses, mindfulness of six senses. Hearing, seeing. You're going tomorrow. Just use that seeing, hearing, testing. Hey, let's go to a restaurant and take you to a good f restaurant. How is the food after they give you the food? I was testing, chewing. <laughs> Tell me how the meal. <laughs> Did you like the meal? 
No, no, I had this talk from a Buddhist monk from Uganda <laughs> that we should not have desires. <laughs> you have to decide what to say, but really, when you're <laughs> testing, be aware of testing. This is the instruction we get, the Buddha said, in reference to the sensed only, uh, the sensed, um, just be aware of the ten, what's this, what is the seeing. In the seeing, there's only the seeing, seeing in the heart, in the hearing, there's only the heart. In the sensed, which includes touching and smelling and tasting, it's just only the sensed. And in the cognizing, there's only what is cognized. This is Malunchi, Malunchi Putta. We find it in that Sutta and the Bahia. Very interesting. So that's the second method. The third method, you've learned so many methods. I think I should not go through all of them mindfulness or desire, then come back to the body, investigate, is it increasing, decreasing, or staying the same, and then what are conditions for leading to this uh, desire, is unwise attention, unwise attention to the theme of, this, uh, of beauty. Uh, this, uh, I like this uh, uh, method because usually we don't know why, why am I attracted to this thing? So mostly it's your unwise mindset, eh? seeing, at, seeing something which is impermanent and you see it as permanent. Uh, we have talked about all these things. I don't think I should repeat them. Uh, of course, non-clinging. This is not I, this is not mine, this is not myself. And I found out which is something which is very helpful is actually the Buddha gave instruction that this is a mind state for further mindfulness and knowledge. I want to ask you one simple question. When there's desire arising in your experience, is that what you say? Oh, this is a mind state for further mindfulness and knowledge? No, I want more, I want that. So this is very important instructions for you to remember. Replacing it with the opposite is, gonna be, is very helpful. What's the opposite of desire? Letting go, contentment. Contentment is three three levels of contentment. Contentment with what's suitable, with what within what, what your means, and also uh, with what is, uh, uh, what's uh, available. So this is very, very important. Moderation in food. Moderate your food. You know the Buddha's instruction about moderation? He said that when you eat food, leave three or four mouthful, and the rest of the, uh, the thing take water and fill the rest of the gap. Don't eat full, 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 and full your, your tummy. I think that's enough for today. You've got so many methods. Let us sit for a moment or two. Many methods you have. I want to read this from the Buddha as you're sitting quietly and listen quietly. When a bhikkhu has heard that nothing, in the, uh, that nothing is worth adhering to, he directly knows everything. Having directly known everything, he fully understands everything. Having fully understood everything, whatever feeling he feels, what, whether pleasant or unpleasant, or neither ple uh, pleasant or unpleasant, he abides contemplating impermanence, of these feelings, of those feelings, contemplating the fading away, contemplating cessation, contemplating relinquishment, contemplating thus, 
he does not cling to anything in this world. When he does not cling, he does not, he, he's not agitated. When he's not agitated, he personally attains Nibbana. Thank you very much for listening. I offer this for your reflection. If you didn't, don't forget, remember anything from my talk, remember don't cling on to anything. <laughs> Only that message. I think this is my last Dharma talk. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.